office. You can turn with me, and we're going to be in the book of John. Uh, actually, not in the book of John, but book of Matthew today, all right? I got a question for you. Today's message is about questions, all right, and the importance of questions. Now, I want to ask you a question to start this off. I want you to think, how many questions do you answer in a day? Ooh. Yeah. All right. How many questions do you answer in a day? A ton, right? Now, how many times do you just give an answer? <laughs> you may not have even thought about whether it's the right answer or not. You just gave an answer, right? How many questions do you answer and just give an answer to? There's so many times, I think, when we are asked a question, we just pop off an answer. Do you think about the importance of what you just said? Do you think about the effect that it has? Do you think about how it might reverberate out? In other words, maybe one of your colleagues or someone you work with ask you a question. You didn't give it much thought. Then you, know, then you realize you just changed the entire culture of your office. You know what I'm saying? By answering one question. You know, sometimes we give answers and we don't realize the importance of what's going on. Today we're going to talk about the most important question that you can give an answer to in your life. And so many times I want you to think about this. I want you to think, how many people in the world today have just given a quick answer to this? Not put a whole lot of thought into it. Just spoke out an answer because it was the answer that somebody wanted them to give. Or it was the answer that they thought would be the most expedient for them. But the truth of the matter is, is that this has eternal consequences. The answer to this question does. And so as we, as we think about it, we need to ponder. We need to put some thought into it. We need to understand what the answer that we give means and how it brings meaning to our lives. Now I want you to stop for a second and think that if we actually put this kind of thought into the questions that we get each and every day, and if we actually spent time pouring into giving the answers and, and thought, hey, if I give this answer, this might happen, this might happen, this might happen, this might happen. I think it would bring more care, more concern, more uh, intuition that would go into the answers that we give. And we wouldn't just go through life trying to just what? Quickly give someone an answer either to move on or to get somebody off our back or to just have peace. Because I think so many times in life, and there's many, many people in life who've answered this question flippantly. And we can't. So this morning what I want us to do is we have a time of communion and stuff together is to, to deal with life's greatest question. The question is, who do you say that I am? The passage is found in Matthew chapter 16, and it starts in verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, now this is over by the ocean, all right? Uh, and so he, he asked his disciples, who do the people say that the Son of Man is? And they answered, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others said Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But you, he asked them, who do you say that I am? Now let's stop right there for a second. So Jesus has been doing all these things, and, and as he's healed people, as he's 
uh, spoke these words, these, these prophetic words, the words that no one had ever heard before, doing things that no one had ever seen before. And so all of these guys are sitting there, and, they, and he asks them just a general question. Who do people say that I am? And they answer, well, you're a prophet. You're one of the great prophets. They are going to refer you back to the Old Testament. And they start naming these Old Testament prophets. Some say you're John the Baptist. Well, John the Baptist walked before him, walked with him. So all of these answers, what were they given? They were just given the first thing that came to their mind. Just popping them off. And then Jesus, can you see this kind of building up? He says, no, 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 no. Now, wait a second now. All these people see this. Who do you? say that I am. Now stop for a second and answer that personally yourself. Who do you think that Jesus is? Is Jesus Lord and Savior of your life? Because I think that a lot of people would give that answer right off the bat. Say, he's my Lord and he's my Savior. Really? Is he? Or are you just saying that so, because that's the thing to say because Christians say that? Because there's a lot that's there. Those words have depth and they have meaning. So if he is Savior of our lives, what does that mean to you? If he is Lord of our lives, what does that truly mean? And then when he asks that, Peter pops up here. Now Peter was always impetuous. Peter was always the first one to let things fly out of his mouth and give his opinion. Now, you don't know anybody like that, do you? Somebody just flies off the handle and just gives their opinion all the time. Whether you ask for it or not, they're going to give it to you, all right? Peter says this, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Right answer. He gave the right answer. Now, there's a couple of things that we've gone through over the last couple of weeks, and I brought them to you, and it's also going to talk about where we're going forward with the I am statements next week when we, when we talk about Jesus being the, the good shepherd, and we'll get more into that. But we've said two main things that I've kind of harped on over the last few weeks and months, all right? To believe something is to know it as truth. So to place your belief in something is to know it as truth. To place your faith in something is to trust in that truth. See, there's a difference there. I think that there's a lot of people in this world, and we're going to look at one example here in just a few seconds in Scripture, that have belief. And we like to go out in the, in the world today and we say, do you believe in God? Well, there's a lot of people that are going to answer, yes, I believe in God. But it's not the same thought process of who God is. They don't understand who Christ is. And so it loses all of its meaning right there. God can be Allah. God can be something that we're going to become one day and inherit our own planets and our own universe and all these different things. People believe a lot of things religiously that aren't the same as us, but then in the holistic part of society, want us all just to blend in together and get along. I want you to understand something. The coexist bumper sticker is never going to happen. And I know that there's a lot of people that have that on the back of their car and stuff like that and drive around. And when I see that, I pray earnestly for those people. Because they think that that all brings peace to us and that we can all just get along. It's all the same God. It's good. 
It's not. Why? Because we each individually as a person have to answer this question. And when we answer this question, it has to be from what we know to be truth. And then through faith, we have to trust in that. So Peter makes this statement of belief. And the statement of belief is that you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Scripture says this about the truth that is of knowing what that truth is. It says in James 2.19, you believe that God is one, you do well. The demons also believe and shudder. The demons believe that God is one. The demons believe in the Almighty. They have believed. They encountered Christ. They knew who he was when he walked on this earth. They shuddered before him. They knew of his power and his excellence, his perfection. They knew the reality of, of his identity as the Son of God. And it scared them to death because he had power over them. But they didn't have faith. They didn't have faith to believe that and to trust in him. So what does that mean for us? Who do you say that I am? That has to be based in trust. Has to be based in faith. Now Peter's made this statement. We're going to look on down in just a second and how this digs out. But let's look at what Hebrews chapter 11, 1 and 2 says. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. For by it the men of old gained approval. Who... Can someone tell me what's going to happen tomorrow? Anyone, please? Anyone. Can someone tell me what's going to happen at 1 o'clock? Can some of you even tell me where you're going for lunch? <laughs> you haven't answered some of these questions. We don't know, do we? We can't tell the future, can we? We don't know what's going to happen even at 1 o'clock here today. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We make plans, but we have to what? Trust in God and walk in faith that we're going to get there and that things are going to work out the way we think. Some of you are scheduled to go to work tomorrow morning. Some of you are scheduled to do different things. All right. <laughs> we had someone in our congregation wake up last Monday thinking they were going to work, went to the doctor's office, by, and then ended up in the hospital. And very fortunate to be alive, right? We got all these plans, we got all these aspirations, we got all these things, but we walk every day in the faith that God gives us, trusting that He is who He says He is by truth and living that out. Peter says, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. He has answered that question correctly and then see where it leads to. Why is this important? That answer comes from divine inspiration. <laughs> I'm going to tell you something. And, and y'all have already told y'all this. I was an only child growing up, and I was probably a little um, minion. Okay, it's probably a good word. Uh, I, I, get, I got in trouble all the time. I, I was a class clown. I was all kinds of stuff. You know, my Sunday school teachers did not think very highly of me. I've told y'all all these stories and stuff about me growing up and things that happened. I was, that was me. That was me then. This is me now. God can transform even the worst among us. The ones that we don't see very much hope for. The ones we don't think that are going to amount to much. 
He can use them mightily for His glory and for His kingdom. We have to have faith and trust that God is in control. He gets this. He understands. All right? So, why is this important? It comes from divine inspiration. I'm going to tell you the other little thing about me was this. My mama made me walk the aisle the first time that I walked the aisle. My mom said it was time. I'd gone to vacation Bible school for years and years and years, and during the decision time, I'd filled out the card. I think for a record number of years in a row at Mars Hill Baptist Church, I'm not real sure. Tim has decided again to follow Jesus, but I never, ever got baptized. But my mama came to me one time after the last time. I was actually beginning to have serious spiritual conversations with her about this. And she says, Tim, it's just time. It's time, Tim. You know you know right from wrong. You understand this. And so for the sake of mama and my pastor who is retiring, who had been my pastor my entire life, I was the last person that he ever baptized. I mean, his last Sunday was December the 26th. And um, I can't remember the year uh, exactly. I'd have to go back and look. But I, I went up and got baptized that last Sunday. <laughs> Didn't make a hill of beans difference. I was still the same person. I was still struggling with the same things. It was almost a year and a half later till I came to the revelation of Christ Jesus as who he said he was on a retreat in a different state with a different group of people. It was just a completely different aspect in time. Mama wasn't even around. But I knew that was real. I can tell you everything about that night up at Windy Gap, North Carolina. It was cold outside, but it was warm and awesome inside. And we were all in this like rotunda circle room, and it was just amazing, the presence of God. How do I know that I know? Because I know that moment. And in that moment, something happened in my life that was not of Tim, did not come from Mama, and was not because I was at the church or, or dealing with the stuff that was going on at the church that I grew up in. That was the reality of what was going on with Peter at this moment. I want you to think about this for a second. These guys have been following Christ, and they've been seeing all these things. But every single one of these disciples eventually has to deal with this question. Even the 12 that are following, and remember, one of them doesn't follow anymore. And he saw all the same things. And he walked in all the same places. So just because we all sit here together and just because we understand how, how it's the fifth Sunday of a, of a quarter and it's time for us to have communion together and that's just what this is, that doesn't mean it always is the same thing. We have to ponder and really introspectively look inside deep down. Communion, Paul tells us, in Corinthians is a great time of examination. So just because you've said a prayer, just because you've walked a walk, just because you've been baptized, doesn't mean you're going to spend eternity with the Father. Because we have to answer this question based on truth, 
and trust. If we know it is truth but have not trusted it to follow it in every aspect of our life, then that we're playing. But if we do know it is truth and we trust it in every aspect of our life, we know it is faith. And we can adamantly stand up and say, He is the Messiah, the Son of the living God, because it does not come from anybody else. I don't care what you think. I don't care what you may say about me. I don't care what you will do to me. God's bigger than all of that. That's divine inspiration. And Jesus responded to Simon, son of Jonah, and said, Blessed are you because flesh and blood does not, did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Matthew 16, 17. So right after this, Jesus says to him, what does he say to him? He says, Simon, son of Jonah. He speaks to him with the, the name that he was given at birth. So he gives him his lineage. That's basically the way. He's not calling him Peter yet. He's calling him Simon. He's calling him by his given name. Now look, all throughout Scripture, everybody's already calling him Peter and calling him Peter and calling him Peter. But up until this point, he was known as Simon. The name that he had been given here upon this earth. But then all of a sudden, he has this divine experience God himself speaks to his heart through Christ Jesus who's right there in front of him and he gets to speak this truth. But look what happens immediately after that. Now look, it's not immediate. There's, we're going to look at some other scriptures. But a little bit later on, as soon as this experience happens, <laughs> he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me for you are not setting your mind on God's interests but man's. Because Peter had said what? There's no way that you're going to the cross to die. He, just, he tells them this after what I'm talking about here this morning. And Peter's like, no way, man, that ain't happening. So doesn't mean that even though that we know and answer this question correctly, that we're still not going to let ourselves get in the way of all this. Do you get this? You can get the answer right and not live the right life that was planned out for you by God. Because you can decide to go and do your own things and do it the way that you want to do it and the way that you think it ought to be done. That's not walking by faith. That's knowing and seeing God's word is truth but not trusting in him to lead you every day as you walk. Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7, says so much about how the Lord takes care of all things. Even says birds. They don't worry about where their food's going to come from and how they're going to be sheltered, but we do all the time. We spend all of our lives in our day worrying about what's going to happen next and what's gonna, what happens if what happens next. The questions build, don't they? What happens if this happens? And if this happens, what happens then? And it leads to doubt. It leads to us doubting and trusting that God's got this. That God is truly who he says he is. And that he's going to take care of us. And that he's got our best interests at heart. 
We look at our future and we say, what's next? Or I have no clue where I'm supposed to go or what I'm supposed to do. The things that are behind have happened and I can see them, but I don't know what the forward looks like for me. It's not something that we can go out and create. When we try to create that, we get off the path. We have to allow God to move us. Why? Because He is the divine inspiration to us. The second thing I want you to see is not only does He give the divine inspiration, but he, the answer brings divine instruction. Look what happens right here. And I also say that you are Peter, and on this rock, now here's names change. Didn't call him Simon, son of Jonah. Calls him Peter. You are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the forces of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on this earth is already bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on this earth is already loosed in heaven. I know all of us are probably sitting here going, man, if he'd just say that to me, I'd feel a whole lot better about that right now, right? Just, just give me a little something right here. He does. He does every day. But I think that we've become so caught up in the routine and the numbness of life that we're missing the moments. He's given us divine instruction. I know none of you have ever done this, but I've shared with you before. I've run a stop sign before. Man, I've actually even blown through a red light. And there are policemen in the room. Please don't take me away. You've never blown through a stop sign? You've never run that red light going, it's going to stay yellow, it's going to stay yellow. Oh! And then you start looking around. This is what we do in our life. If God didn't want me to do this, he'll stop me, he'll stop me, he'll stop me. And there's a big stop sign. And we're going, oh, I didn't see that. And we blow right through it. Just keep down on the path, wanting to do, wanting it to be like we wanted it to want it to be. When all these times God's sending us these signs and saying, turn here, stop, yield, yield. You turn. Repentance. That's what repentance is. You turn. Turn around. Go back. I used to love Monster Plantation at, at uh, Six Flags. Did y'all remember? You take your kids through Monster Plantation. The little guy up there at the front. Does anybody remember this or am I just cracked right now on this? I'm not, all right. Please shake your head and say that you do remember this. What's that guy up there going, don't go here? You know what I'm saying? My kids were in the back like, oh, my gosh, Dad, we're going in this. You know, all these little machines. But that guy, that's, I feel like so many times that's like the Lord. Tim, don't go here. Don't go in here, Tim. Not just on the boat with the whole family. We're going here, Lord. We're going here. They don't even give you a place to turn the boat or anything to get off of that, right? You're going there. But I think about that all the time in my life, and that's a silly little illustration, but it's true. I wonder how many times the Lord's been up there going, my instruction is for you to not do what you're about to do, or not go where you're about to go, or to listen when you're talking. 
or to stop worrying when you're thinking about this all the time. I got your back. I'm going to be honest with you. I've had plenty of men tell me as a pastor they got my back. It's never really worked out real well for me. God's got my back. And I appreciate it that you pray for and look out after me. But God's got my back. And as long as he's got my back, I'm okay. And as long as I will walk in the path that he lays out for me, I'm okay. And as long as he is still willing to speak and give me a sign and give me direction in my life, I'm okay. Even when I blow it. Because I can be just like this. I can be so inspirational and so plugged into God and just feeling like I'm in the zone. You've never been there, right? You've never been in the feeling like you're in the God zone, right? Me and God, we're on the same page. I can do no wrong and He has got it. Only to 15 minutes later be losing your mind. I am spiritually bipolar. One moment, me and God are inseparable. The next moment, I have no clue where he is. And I'm angry. And then the next moment, I'm like, we're best buds again. And this is who he deals with. This is why he calls us children. This is why he calls us sheep. We're easily led astray. He knows all this about us. His inner circle is Peter, James, and John. Peter gives this great, great answer to life's greatest question. And then, just a few moments later, the Lord calls him Satan. What does that mean for us? That means that this is a moment-by-moment, daily monthly, yearly battle for the soul of our life and the souls of those who are around us. And though I may give answers to questions left and right every single solitary day, there are things that are vastly important and I need to learn how to recognize and see those. When your coworker or your friend or your family member opens up, stop watching the football game or the baseball game or anything else that's going on or work and start to answer the right questions. See the importance. And if right now you have plenty of belief in God but very little faith, I pray that as we spend our time in communion here that you will re-examine your life. That you'll let go of all the stuff that you're worrying about and that you think is important.
and that you will let God let him loose don't bind him up let him loose and when you let him loose be willing to go where he leads you I'm not telling you it will be easy I'm not telling you that there won't be sacrifices. I'm not telling you that there won't be sufferings. But I am telling you, you will be in the place that God wants you to be. And there's no other place that we should desire to be. He's got this. Let me pray for us. As I pray, I want, our deacons come on up and, and take your spots and then... Um, we'll have our time of communion together. Father, I just thank you so much for your word and the fact that we stand in your presence. Father, I, you tell us we're two or more and gathered. If we're, if we're married to a believer, you're in our presence all the time. But Lord, I live so much in my life thinking that you just show up every now and then. And Lord, as we, we take this time to have communion together as brothers and sisters in Christ. This is not just something that we do on a quarterly basis. We're in communion with you all the time. But Lord, this time is special because it is a time that we do this and remember all the things that you've done for us. It is a time when we do this and we take a little time to examine ourselves for where we are and are in relationship to you. And Father, I pray that you'll help us to see the specialness of this, the uniqueness of this, but also, Father, how this is just a reminder. A reminder of what our life should be every single solitary moment of every single day. For as close as we are with you right now in this time of communion, that's how close we are to you all the time. And the only one who moves is us. So, Father, if there's distances between us right now, I pray that it's us that closes the gap. If we draw near to you, you will draw near to us. I pray that we will move because you are right here. These things I ask and pray.